There are so many lessons to be learned from so many different cultures. Today on the Weekly Walk podcast, we're going to share some lessons learned from Japanese culture. Now, many of them have some things, lessons, ideas, concepts that are so similar to things that we talk about here, to the lessons of the Stoics. And I can only think that's because there are lessons that we need to hear over and over again in so many different ways. And today, for the first time, Eric shares his new Ikigai. So if you're curious what that is and what that is for Eric, lace up your sneakers and let's get going. Hey, Joyce. Hey, Eric. Can we go to Japan? So, uh, you know, our friends Jeff and Anne-Marie are going to Japan, and they have said, come along, come with us. Anne-Marie keeps asking me. So we can. When are they going? March. Ooh, let's go. <laughs> we One of Mason's friends went to Japan, and I told him the only thing, I, I wanted him to send me a picture of a monkey from Japan. And he did. <laughs> He's a good friend. <laughs> but Japan has just some really cool ideas that we've talked about several of these in other podcasts, but I just sort of wanted to go through them because taken together, it's just like all the things for to, and to be an enlightened individual in one place, sort of all wrapped up from one country. Well, what's interesting is so much of it. I know why this all resonates with you because you actually came up with this list of Japanese phrases and what they mean. Uh, and if you stop and actually think about it, you could just replace them all with lessons from the Stoics. Are you aware of that? There is a fair bit of crossover. Yes, there is. I will. I will admit that. Uh, yeah, which is which is fine, right? Like. The lessons and the messages can come from so many different places. And I was actually talking about this with my friend Helen literally yesterday. Sometimes you have to hear them from different sources in different ways. Again and again and again. I was listening to a podcast, I don't, I don't remember who, but the guy had written a book. And like people always would talk to him about whatever the personal development theme of the book was. And they would talk to him like he was the expert on this and he did it every day. And he was like, no, the reason I wrote the book is because this is stuff that I need to work on. So the lessons, right. The lessons we just need to keep learning over and over again and hearing at different moments in our life, different times, different days, different words, but the concepts, uh, same conversation with my friend Helen last night, she, she had an expression, she shared an expression that I'd never heard before. Uh, but it was, and apparently this is a common expression maybe in the South that I had never heard. You ready? Mm -hmm. Look behind you, but don't stare. Have you hmm. heard that? No. It's good, right? Yeah. Very good. Like look and see what's brought you to this place. I just was putting away, uh, Daniel Pink's book about regrets and the power of regrets. It was Daniel Pink, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the power of regrets and this idea, you know, people say, I want to live without any regrets. And his thing is sort of, we need the regrets because there are lessons baked into those regrets. So this idea of look behind you, see the lessons, but don't stare at them. Don't ruminate on them. I loved that. Is there a Japanese phrase that stands for look behind you, but don't stare? 
No. <laughs> <laughs> There's not. Okay. So I before we launch into these specific phrases and concepts that you have identified, I want to be really clear. I can't pronounce anything. I have enough trouble with English. I will do my best to butcher these less. You butcher them less. Okay. So starting with Kaizen. We have talked about this one. I actually wrote a section of my book about this. Okay. So what does it mean? It's this idea of constant small improvement. Keep improving. Keep getting better. The whole idea of building brick by brick, but in an ongoing kind of way. At least that's my, that's my understanding of it. Yeah, it's seeking continuous improvement. It goes to, I think, some of the things that I do day to day in work. I'm always trying to do a little better, but also my fitness and walking and CrossFit and jetty walking and just seeking to improve my health and wellness and just in general looking to be a, a better person every day. And, you know, when I think of being a better person, I often think of being stuck in traffic and my reactions and responses. And I will emphasize the seeking of that. So just trying to improve and be better every day. Okay. Okay. Next, would you like to take a stab at pronouncing that? Ikigai. Yeah, exactly. Nailed it. So that's your purpose. And this is the thing that often is described of, of the, the reason you get out of bed every morning. So what, what would you say your ikigai is? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't actually prepare to discuss that. Let me think for a moment. Uh, you know, I feel pretty strongly, and I've said this before, but I feel pretty strongly that truly I was put on this earth to help inspire people in general and women in particular to come together and to move forward. And I mean that both literally and metaphorically. So yeah, that, yeah, that's I, my mission. That's my purpose. Yeah, I, I sort of feel the same way. Even drilling down a little bit into more of the, of the fitness realm and to share with people that fitness can take many forms and many permutations but in some regard it, it really is for just about everybody and finding ways to to be fit and healthy and do what you can do and finding ways to make it enjoyable is just super important and that's that's really the story that i want to spread and that's your mission this is this is new this is the first i've heard this from you you're uh, sort of embracing that as your mission yeah i'm sort of embracing that as my mission since when tuesday i like it <laughs> i don't get me wrong i like it but this is truly the first i've heard it yep huh so sort of what's occurred to me over the last week or so I think uh, some of that comes from 
a certain level of of maturity and i i feel not i'm not taking credit for your your mission and purpose so i'm afraid it's going to sound that way i don't mean it that way but i feel like you've embraced a little bit of my expression for the people who say i hate exercise have you tried everything right because we know the frankly the joy that comes with a level of fitness that allows you and enables you to do the things you want to do that's sort of the test for me. Right? Yeah, it, exactly. I mean, who, as, as we get older and turning 60, I can sort of speak to that, but who doesn't want to or look forward to getting down on their hands and knees and playing with their grandkids? I mean, that's... Such a cliche. It is a cliche, but, but people can. I mean, my grandparents couldn't. They were, they were not physically capable of doing that. And I don't want to be in that position. And I don't think people have to be. I think there are small steps that, again, just about everybody can take. But that's a different, that's kind of a different context to my, to my mind, right? Because you're talking about, okay, 20 years from now, I want to be able to get down on the floor and get up. And I get that, like I do too. But it's also just about the the joy and the pleasure and the freedom on the day-to-day -day that comes from being able to do the stuff you want to do and realizing that within limits, like there's stuff that I can, that I will never be able to do. Like I, I, I sometimes tell this story, like I remember when I was in law school and I had a full on existential crisis because I realized I was too old to go to the Olympics. Like there was no <laughs> sport that I, and it turns out that I was actually wrong because there are a bunch of sports you can actually managed to go to the Olympics in your 40s and 50s. Um, but at the time, it seemed to me that that entire window of opportunity had been closed. So I get the fact that there are things that we can't start doing or work towards doing, but the freedom and the fun and the, the joy that comes from all of that, like just keep looking for the path forward, right? Yeah, I have a friend from high school and college who I guess he's, I think he's a year younger than me, I think, he, or is he my age? I don't know. Anyway, you know what he does? Mm -hmm. He is a professional swing dancer. He, okay. He does like swing dancing shows and clinics and lessons and travels all over the world, like teaching people how to swing dance. And, and he's fit AF. <laughs> he's very fit and very, you know, he's throwing his partner around and moving and so whatever it is, so that's sort of my ikigai these days. Oh, that raises an interesting question. Does your ikigai change? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it can. For some people it, it does and for some people it doesn't, but your ikigai certainly can change over the course of your life. Can it improve continuously and little bits over time? Can you kaizen on your ikigai? I'm not so sure about that. Can you see continuous improvement of your purpose? I think, of course you can. I think you can see continuous improvement of anything. Well, you can see continuous improvement of the steps that you take to achieve your purpose. But to I, execute on your to purpose. To execute on you your purpose. You don't achieve your purpose. Execute Do you? On I don't it. think you... Never. Right. So. 
And I think that's really interesting, right? You're very achievement oriented. And I think even the fact that you would phrase it that way, achieve your purpose, I, I, I Execute imagine. your purpose, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, your purpose is something you do, not something you achieve. Exactly. Do. All so. right. We got off on a little bit of a tangent. Yeah. Off, off to the next. Uh, I have no idea how to pronounce this one, but I'm going to go with Ubetori. Ubetori? Ubetori, which is... Sounds sort of Japanese. Yeah. Avoiding comparison to others. Compare and despair, baby. And comparison is the thief of joy. Who said that? <laughs> Somebody famous. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a well-known quote. I can't quite remember who it's attributed to. Yeah, like Mark Twain or... Benjamin Franklin or something so, like that. Uh, you're great at this. <laughs> you're great at sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> so, how, gosh, I mean, so many thoughts around this. I think on some level, comparison to others is a very natural kind of thing because, right, in the, in the old days, you know, the the strongest in the tribe got the most food. Yep. I mean, let's just start at the basics. Just compared yourself to Og in the cave. If you're bigger and stronger, you get more food. So I feel like there's got to be some natural wiring that causes us to compare ourselves to others. And I suppose we have to find a way to fight against that. I, it also sort of goes to our wiring to sort of be judgy and part of that is the comparison and again that goes to being judgmental of other people like when you meet someone new is this person a friend or a foe going back you know hundreds thousands of years so that leads to judging and comparison and well, but I, now we don't have to do that raises an interesting question actually is judging uh, judging other people in the way you described it and comparing ourselves to others, is that the same thing? I don't think it is, actually. But maybe it is. I just see... I think they're related because you probably often judge them in comparison to you. I don't think so. No? Okay. I don't think so. I think comparing... I think comparison to others usually... And I, I totally could be wrong, but I feel like it's kind of in the context of that person is, and then you fill in the blank, that person is richer than me, that person is taller than me, that person is happier than me, that person is skinnier than me, that person Driving is... Driving a fancier car than me. All of those kind of comparisons and the judgy, but maybe it's just driven from the same place. The judgy is different. Mm. Okay, so... Again, the lesson from Japan is don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> How do we not do that? I think part of it is, for me at least, is focusing on what I have and what we have and just not worrying about others so much. So, you know, our, our work, our mission, our relationship, our kids, our humble little home. I mean, I'm happy with all this stuff. And by comparing, I can only take away from that. So, I, I guess, I guess if I compared myself to someone, you know, in, in real dire circumstances, but 
But that just makes you feel guilty. Yeah, that makes me feel like a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but comparing to uh, compared to the more successful, which where we live, there's a lot of that going around, uh, is the thief of joy. So I I do try to avoid that as best I can. There's really interesting research out there that teaches that how where you are financially in comparison to your social surroundings has a big impact on how you feel about your level of success. So if you're like about even as far as financial success with the people with whom you surround yourself, then you feel pretty good about things. But if you're not, you feel crappy about things. And that's that's a challenge for where we live because we're surrounded by like crazy extreme wealth. Right. Not our immediate friends. We've kind of, and this goes to that sort of that point, like we've kind of curated our community around people like us who actually work <laughs> <laughs> and who actually, when the, you know, it's, it's bill paying time are like, hmm, how's this going to work? <clears throat> As opposed to the people who don't give it a diet, just it's, it's levels beyond. So it is hard. Part of what helps me around that, uh, if you're asking, are you asking? Yes. No, part of what helps me around that is the reality that other people's lives are rarely what they seem. So I'm reading a book at the moment uh, and it's about an actor who I've known. You know, I sort of followed her career a little bit and everything looks shiny, shiny, pretty, pretty. And her life, this is a memoir, and her life was terrible, <laughs> just terrible. So I always feel that about people, not that, they're <laughs> not that their lives are necessarily terrible, but whatever we see in other people's lives is such a tiny, tiny sliver of what's actually going on. It's, and it brings to mind what you say all the time. Which is? About the problems. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there, there's a, uh, what, what, what would you call this? Parable? Parable, uh... metaphor, something. That if you no, there's an, it's another word. Somebody it, help. Yeah, if you took a bunch of people, put them in a room, and had them all throw their problems in the middle of the room in a pile, and said you have to, you know, pick some problems, everybody would run back and pick their own problems. So, yeah, it's usually the things. It's the things that you don't know, and what's like the T-shirt, you know, everybody's fighting some private battle that you know nothing about, so treat them with kindness. Exactly. So. All right, compare and despair. Don't. Don't, don't do, it. do it. So then the next one is wabi-sabi. That, like, you just like, like that one because it's fun to say. Yes. Even I could say that, wabi-sabi. Yes. Sounds uh, a little bit like ob, the secret it, it, language it, it, our family it, speaks. It does. Very similar. Wabi-kaba-dabu-aben-aben-tabayabra-pabab-kabast-aben-abab. If you don't want anybody to ever listen. <laughs> <laughs> so Joyce said we could do an entire podcast in that language. So wabi-sabi is embracing imperfection. So perfection is, is virtually impossible. So let's embrace Imperfection. There's actually. I, I, a, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> you're perfect. I, 
I thought I was. You're perfect for me. (laughs) So there's actually a school of art in Japan, and by school I sort of mean style, where people will create like ceramics and then break them on purpose and put them back together, and that's, that's the finished product. Well, usually they put them back together with gold so that you can really see the, the breaks. The imperfections. The imperfections. So, you know, we, we all, need one of those. Can we, we, we should like, there's got to be some place we can go. This goes to maybe we should go to Japan with Jeff and Anne Marie in March. But there's got to be some place we can go to actually create something like that. that Wouldn't would, that be great? That would be very cool. So personally, I embrace my baldness. <laughs> you just... <laughs> How about you? Well, that suggests that your baldness is an imperfection. Yes. <laughs> if your baldness is an imperfection, then there are a lot of imperfect people out there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I have so many, so many flaws. So it's it's about our imperfection in ourselves as well as imperfection in others and embracing the imperfection in our kids, in our friends, and neighbors, you know, and, and... Right, roll, roll it back, roll it back. What imperfections in our kids? <laughs> there are none. I was none. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, embracing imperfection in ourselves, in others, in the world, and yeah, being sort of okay with that. Well, okay, I'm gonna push back a little bit, right, because there are things you had me until you got to the world because the imperfections in the world i want to fix them all poverty hunger climate change all the garbage in our oceans there's a long list of imperfections in the world that i actually don't want to embrace i want to fix except those (laughs) (laughs) you got me there nothing i can say about that there's no embracing turtles caught in fishing nets in the ocean. There is no embracing that. Nope. But I think it has greater application, at least for me, with respect to other people, um, and especially in relationships. You know, it's so funny because often the things that draw you to somebody are sometimes the things that make you crazy over time. Why are you laughing? The flaws. Yeah, why are you laughing? Not laughing. No, not laughing. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I said anything funny. No. So, yeah, the and that's sort of the Japanese concept is that flaws can be beautiful. Flaws can be beautiful. I think we're moving to a better place as a society around physical. I, I don't even like to use the word flaws or imperfections, physical differences. You know, you we're finally seeing models who, and no disrespect to Barbie because, you know, but Barbie, hey, Barbie, hi, Barbie, hi, Barbie. <laughs> hi, Barbie. I mean, we do it all day. Yeah. But uh, we are finally, I went to a, a website just earlier today, and the lead image of the woman on the website was not someone who you would have seen on a fitness website five years ago. Yeah, and who's the, the lovely model? She's like African-American with like white, Spotches, splotches on her skin. Um, I've seen her in like beauty ads and different things, and she's just striking. And 
she is wabi-sabi embracing imperfections. Though they're not imperfections. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know where you're going. Anyway, different is beautiful. Different is beautiful. Exactly. All right, moving on to next. Harahachibu. Ah, uh, am I your Harahachibu? You are my Harahachibu, which is eating until you're 80% full. But doesn't that mean you're still hungry? Often, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not a big practitioner of this one, but I probably should be. It's just, it's just a good concept that having enough is enough. And this applies to eating, but it also just sort of applies to the metaphor of life. It applies, I think, a little bit to sharing because not taking more than you need. Uh, I think there's sort of a, a tangent there as well. So eating until you're 80% full, I think, is an interesting concept. Uh, so that's my question about that. Is that, is that uh, practical or is that metaphorical? Do the, does Japanese culture use that as a metaphor for things? Because I've always heard it in the context of uh, stop eating before you're stuffed. And just to be really clear, you know, that post-Thanksgiving meal feeling, it's not great. Well, I think I think a big part of it is literal, and I think it's... Literal was the word I was looking for. Thank you. I also think it's practical because your satiation, your feelings of fullness, hormones, often don't kick in until 15 or even 20 minutes into a meal or after a meal. They say that, and I just don't believe it. I find that sometimes if I stop eating and I'm a little bit hungry, maybe the portions were, were smaller. And shortly thereafter, I, I don't even notice it. Well, that's the thing. Like you sort of don't, you get distracted, but I, I don't know. All right. So all right, we can, we can table that one, no pun intended. Uh -huh. No, uh -huh. I think that one's, I don't, I don't think we should table that one. I think it's a, a really valuable concept. And what do you think about the using it as a metaphor? I think it, it's an interesting metaphor too, but I do think that you got to dig into that a little bit more. But I, that was my question: is, is is it used as a metaphor, or is it used? I think it's used literal, but right. I, I I don't know if it's used as a metaphor, but I think there is use as a metaphor. Interesting. Yes. All right. So the next one, this is pure stoicism, which is shikata got nai which is accepting what you cannot change. I mean, this is, this is the central tenet of stoicism, which is, yeah, <laughs> knowing, knowing what you can change and taking action and the things that you can't change, not worrying about them because worrying about them isn't going to change them. You can't change them. And this goes to this Japanese concept as well. There's a whole prayer around it too. The serenity prayer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is universal. So, uh, so why do you think it's universal? That's actually the question. Why is this one so universal? I think because there's, there's just a fundamental truth to it. <laughs> you can't, if there, if there's something you can't change, Putting your effort and energy and worry and brain power and rumination towards it literally changes nothing. 
So why do it? But I feel like there are so many concepts that are that have that have that degree of truth. Why is it this one is the one that comes up over and over again? And the only thing I can think is that this has to be the source of a whole lot of suffering. Well, this sort of goes to the uh, stoic concept of the second arrow is if something happens to you or something is bad that you can't change, they call that the first arrow. But then if you sort of beat yourself up over it, that's the second arrow. So frustration, anger, disappointment, all these emotions and regret and like excessive regret over something that you can't change is is a, is adding insult to injury. Uh, yeah, but I I I think that's even too limited a view of it because you're talking about this in the context of regret and I guess for sure accepting what you can't change if you can't you can we can't turn back time. But I don't even necessarily see it as this kind of beating yourself up concept. I see it you know, much more practically, right? You're sitting in traffic. There are no alternatives. So I don't see it as this second arrow concept. It's just sitting in traffic and I can't fix it. Waze well, does not have a better route for me. Well, that sort of goes to the second arrow as well. If you're sitting in traffic, that's sort of the, the first thing is you're going to be late. You're going to be sitting in traffic. And the second arrow would be getting upset and aggravated and pounding on the steering wheel and snapping at your kids. So by accepting what you cannot change, you are limiting the damage dramatically. I totally don't see it, but that's partly because the whole second arrow thing has never yeah, you, kind of resonated. You, you hate that one. You hated <laughs> that one in the other podcast. Yeah, I, I specifically remember that, which is kind of why I brought it up. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> Just wanted to see if you'd sort of gotten that a handle on All right. We've got one more we have to close on because it goes to the heart of so much of what we talk about. Right, which is Shinrin-yoku, which is forest bathing. Get outside. Somebody posted in the group just this remarkable series of pictures of them, uh, of actually just sort of the trail they were walking through, through a green canopied forest. It's so good for you. There's a lot of research out there on the value of forest bathing, and I've dug deep into this research. And what's interesting to me is the vast majority of it, not all of it, but most of it involves walking in nature and walking in the forest, which makes sense because the, the studies are not so much like bring a chair and sit in nature. So it's hard to disentangle the benefits of forest bathing from the benefits of walking in nature. So there you have it. Go out, take some lessons from Japan, starting with go take a walk in nature. <laughs>